Alrighty, good morning, everyone. It is a thank you, my brother. He's got the loudest voice in the room, and I love it. You know, it's great to be here with you this morning. I've got the opportunity to open the Word of God with you. I'm super excited about that. If any of you know anything about me, you know that I love the Bible and I love to talk about the Bible. Um, I have a, a mug in my office that I drink a lot of coffee out of that says, I'm awkward, but I like to talk about theology. And that's, uh, that's pretty true. So grateful to be here this morning with you. Why don't we pray and then we'll get into the Word of God together. Gracious Lord, we come before you. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you have redeemed those who have put their, their trust in you, Lord. We thank you for this church body that you have knit together for your purposes. We thank you that you have given us a place to worship and to serve and to love you and to learn more about you, Lord. We pray that you would continue day by day to make us more like you so that we can continue becoming the church that you desire us to be. Be with us this morning. Fill me with your spirit. Be with me in the utterance of my tongue. Open the hearts of all who are here to hear your word that you have for each of us this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So last week, if you remember, if you were here with us in person or online, Pastor Ryan uh, did Vision Sunday. He talked to us about our mission statement here at church. We've got this up on the screen for you. Our mission statement, once again, is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. I think this is an awesome vision statement. Awesome, miss, awesome. First time up here, a little nervous. Give me some grace, right? So, let's make this more simple. Our mission is to glorify God. Our mission is to make disciples and to love like Jesus. That's what we're trying to do here at this church in every aspect of our ministry. Today and next week, we're going to be talking about Anchor DNA. Why is this the church that is for you? Why did you choose this church? Why are you considering this church? So this week and next week, we're going to be talking about our four pillars. If you remember our four pillars, we have fervent prayer, bold preaching, passionate worship, and courageous evangelism. You know, DNA is an important thing. I don't know about you. I haven't taken a biology class in a while. So I did some research on uh, Google, some, some good sites, WebMD and the, the other three that were like the top ones on the Google search to remind myself of what DNA is. Three things were really important that I saw that apply not only to uh, human DNA, DNA in general, but to our church and our DNA. The first thing is that DNA contains genetic information responsible for the development and function of an organism. Development and function. So how does my little guy Ezra, how does his body inherently know to take him along the path from rolling over for the first time to crawling to walking? in speaking and laughing and having conversation. Well, it's encoded in his DNA. His body knows how to develop him. So too, his functioning, how does his body know how to do this just inherently? It's in his DNA. So it's important for a church to have solid DNA so that we individually and as a body can develop and function properly in accordance with the way the Lord desires us to. So too, DNA is responsible for multiplication. DNA, cells, or DNA makes copies of one another in cells. They replicate constantly. And so too, we want to do that here. We want to make disciples. We want to replicate. You say, hold on a second. I don't want to be a clone of Pastor Stephen. I don't want you to be either. That would be bad for you. But here's the thing. Look to your left. Look to your right. Did you know the DNA of every person in this room is 99.9% .9 the same? Pretty amazing. So the differences in facial features and height and all of those different things come from a difference of 0.1% in our DNA. I think it should be the same thing in churches, and I'm not sure we see that today. But the essentials of every church should be absolutely the same, and then the 0.1 difference is the beauty of diversity that we see. Finally, DNA molecules allow information to be passed from one generation to the next. That's how eye colors pass down. So to here, we don't want Anchor Church to just be around until 2030. We want this to be a place that your children and their children can have confidence and come back to for years and years. So we need solid DNA 
in our church that is going to be passed on. The DNA of our church is rooted in the early church. You remember uh, Jesus ascends to heaven and the disciples wait for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon them. And then Pentecost happens and Peter preaches a fire sermon. Thousands of people are saved and then they start meeting together. This is the beginning of the church. And this is what it says in Acts 2.42 in regard to what they would do as they met together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So from the very first days that the church was meeting together in each other's homes, they devoted themselves to teaching the apostles' doctrine and to prayer. So this is why this is part of our DNA. We're not trying to recreate the wheel here. We're trying to continue on the DNA that has been passed down through the centuries from the early church to our church. Every church that is that has withstood the test of time has had things like this ingrained in the pillars that kept them standing. The ones who did not have such things eventually collapsed. I've got a video for you to show you what happens when an essential pillar that is holding up a building begins to wear down and eventually crumbles. This guy makes it out alive, don't worry. <laughs> so they probably needed a new cameraman. It looks like he's literally doing that with the phone. But this is what happens. One pillar goes away and the whole building crumbles. We stop praying, our church is going to crumble. And this isn't just praying up here, praying in our pastor's meetings. Each one of us has a job to be praying that the will of God be done in our lives and in the life of the church. So this is the church that we are becoming. This is the church that we desire you to be an intricate part of. We need each one of you to use what the Lord has gifted you with to be a healthy and functioning church. So today we're going to be talking about the pillars of bold preaching and fervent prayer. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Our first passage is going to be 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 and 2. Paul is near the end of his life. This is the last letter he writes. And Timothy, if you remember, is a protege of Paul's. He's a disciple. Paul's one who brought him to faith. And he's a young pastor. He's had, his, he's had hands laid upon him. He's been gifted and sent out. But Paul is encouraging him here and telling him what is absolutely essential that he needs to continue doing. He says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So this is a serious thing. We see from the first verse, Paul doesn't say, hey, Timothy, I got a pretty good idea. I think you should do this. How about you try preaching? He says, no, I charge you in the presence of God and of his son, Christ Jesus, Based on the coming of his kingdom, you need to be preparing the people for the kingdom to come. You need to be spreading God's reign in this world. Based on the coming judgment, you need to be preaching to prepare these people for this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, preach the word. So this is why we preach the word here. We see this as our same charge. He says he's going to do it through a, a couple of fashions, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. These words have a little bit of a nuance to each of them. To reprove is to correct or expose, to bring to light or to discipline. And each of us needs that. Raise your hand if, you're, if you still sin. The ones who, who, who didn't raise it, I, ima I imagine you're just zoning out a little bit. That's okay. We all sin. So we all need correction. We need the word of God to expose our sin so that we can be corrected by it. 
so that we can walk the path of righteousness. For those of us who come to the point where we reject what the word of God says, we reject our brothers and sisters trying to help us with our sin, it comes to rebuke, which is to express strong disapproval, to warn, to speak seriously to somebody. This is a little more intense than to reprove. And finally, to exhort. This comes from the same word for the paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, the encourager. So the verb form means to encourage, to implore, to urge, to comfort. We're meant to do all of this in our teaching of the word. The word is meant to do all of the, this when we read it in our devotion times. But here's the thing. It also says that we're to do so with all patience in teaching. And we take this serious here at Anchor. We will do whatever it takes to help you understand the word of God so that it can nourish your soul and you can apply it to your life so that it can transform you. We're not going to get up here and run a thousand miles an hour and expect you to understand every detail of the text. We want to help you understand it so that you can apply it to your lives. So we do so with all patience and with all teaching. This is why we preach the word of God at Anchor. This is why bold preaching is one of our pillars. The full version of our pillar it will be the start of our first point. We proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. We proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. Okay, maybe you're here this morning and you say, why does the Bible have authority over my life? Why does it get to tell me what to do? What gives this old book Last book of the New Testament written some 1,900 years ago, why does it get to tell me what to do in my life? It comes from the fact that the Bible, the Word of God, is breathed out by God. It is God-breathed. Everyone do, do me a favor, and we can put that first point up if you want. Everyone do me a favor, put your, your hand over your mouth. Okay, I want you to say, the Bible is God-breathed. Okay. Now, now whisper it. The Bible is God-breathed. Oh, I can't hear you. Okay, that makes sense. I'm like, why aren't you doing it? Okay, did you feel the breath coming out of your mouth? Some of you are like, maybe I should have brushed my teeth better this morning, put a mint in. Okay, but you can feel your breath when you're speaking, right? So what this word is communicating, the Greek word, theopneustos, is that every single word in the Bible has been spoken by God, breathed out by God. From Genesis to Revelation, every single jot and tittle, every word. This is why it has authority over our lives. It's without error. It comes from God. It is inspired by him. God cannot lie, it is against his character, so it is entirely true in everything that it says. And we need this, right? You know, there's a sister in a small group uh, earlier this week, she said something that really stuck with me. She said, before I knew Jesus, before I started really taking the Bible seriously, I was just making it up as I was going along. Anyone feel like that before they knew Christ? Before you had the Bible, maybe some of you still feel like that right now. You say, I've really gotten away from the word and kind of making it up as I go, just doing my best to, to try and live right. But we need that direction because human wisdom, our understanding is not sufficient. If we're not relying upon the word of God, we're relying upon the next smartest person we meet to tell us what to do. And that's not good enough. We need God's word from heaven and we have it right here. It's like footprints in the snow. You ever walk out in the snow, maybe to go hunting, to go find, uh, you know, a sledding hill or something, and maybe you're a little kid, you're following your mom or your dad. Snow is deep, and rather than making your own way, you follow in their footsteps, which have been paved for you. This is what the Word of God does for us. So, we proclaim the authority of the Word of God without apology because it is God breathed. But there's purpose in this as well. It's more than just hearing the word of God. It needs to impact our lives, which is where we come to our next point. We've got two purpose statements. The first one is so that it will transform you as you apply it to your life. So that it will transform you as you apply it to your life. This is important. 
if you only take one thing away from this message, I want this to be it. The word will only transform you as much as you apply it to your life. The word will only transform you as much as you apply it to your life. That's so important to understand. Because I, I think sometimes we can treat the word like this. Anyone ever had Wagyu beef before? Nice. I haven't. I want to. But I imagine it would be like taking your favorite person in the world out for a big Wagyu beef steak. And you get to the restaurant, you sit down, you're excited, you've been saving up for this because it's expensive. And you sit down, it's served to you, and they go and they take their first bite. Wow, so good. Never tasted something like this in my life. And then they spit it out. And then they take another bite. And they do the same thing over and over. And you say, hold on a second. Yeah, it tastes great. You're meant to enjoy the taste, but it's also meant to nourish your body. And so if you're just taking the steak and chewing it and not swallowing it, it's not going to nourish you. So too with the word of God. If you're coming into church or in your devotion, chewing on it, savoring it, oh, wow, it's sweet like honey. The Bible says this. This is profound. This is what I needed to hear today. And then you don't do anything with it. You're the person sitting with the guy that just bought you some Wagyu beef. We don't want to be that person, right? So we need to apply the word of God to our lives. This takes diligence. Well, why do we apply the word of God to our life? It's profitable. We heard Pastor Ryan say, it's of infinite value. If you could have the wealth of the whole world or the Bible, you should choose the Bible. And the purpose of our learning is that we would become mature. Pastor Bob and Pastor Ryan say over and over again to one another and to me, our purpose here is to present you mature in Christ, complete in Christ. This is our goal. This is the goal of every single leader at this church, is to help in the process of presenting you complete, mature. Let's read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, so that he may be mature, complete. Anyone doing VBS this year? Anyone serving at VBS? Your kids going to VBS? The main verse for VBS this year is Ephesians 2.10. It comes right after that beautiful passage that says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. And then it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Okay, we're not saved by good works, but it says also in Titus 2.14, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are zealous for good deeds. We've been saved to do good works. This is part of the reason Jesus died for us. So here's the thing. We as leaders want to present you complete in Christ. 2 Timothy 3.17 says you can't be complete unless you have the word of God being poured into you and you're applying it to your life. And here's the thing, that prepares you to do the works that God has prepared for you beforehand. The day that you believe in Jesus, you are not going to be prepared for the works he's prepared for you to do 20 years after you believe in him. You need the word of God poured into you. You need it applied to your life. You need to soak it up like a sponge in order to be prepared for that. That's how we grow. That's how we mature. That's why we preach the word of God the way that we do here. Some of us, I think, and I've fallen victim to this as well, some of us can treat the word of God like a big buffet. Imagine Sunday afternoon, every week, after church, you and your family go out for a buffet lunch. Eat as much as you can. And then the next time you eat is the buffet next week. That's like coming to church, hearing the word of God, and not letting the word speak to you, God speak to you through his word until the next week. If we did that physically with food, we'd be starving. Our bodies would be malnourished. It would have horrible effects on, on our, the way we think and, and operate and do our job. 
But I think often we can have spiritual starvation and not even really notice it because we're busy, because other things fill our time. So at Anchor, isn't it awesome that you can have confidence that every week, every Sunday, you're going to hear from God and his word? We'll do whatever it takes, as I said, to help you understand it so that you can be nourished by it, apply it to your life, and so that it can transform you. Because here's the thing. We don't want you to just be hearers of the word. We want you to be doers of the word. We don't want you to just be learners of the word. We want you to be livers of the word. And that's different than kidneys of the word. My wife laughed at me when, when I was, uh, was doing that and rehearsing it with her. I probably shouldn't have put that joke in there. That's okay. <laughs> Let's put this picture up. In my devotions last week, I was reading through the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 33, the Lord says to Ezekiel, I'm going to send you out to the people, and you're going to speak to them. They're going to come to you, and they'll listen to you with their ears. They're going to come, as people do, to hear something. But it's going to be as somebody who listens to a person who has a beautiful voice. Wow, so talented, so good. Or somebody who plays an instrument very well. Oh, we're at the Chicago Symphonic Orchestra. Can you believe the first chair violinist? She's miraculous. But they're not going to listen to what you have to say, Ezekiel. They're not going to obey you. Man, do you feel like we can get like that in church these days, too? We come to be entertained. We come to consume. We come to enjoy. And we're lifted up. Woo, that was good. Man, can you believe that? That spoke to my heart. And then the next time we think about it, or our minds are in the place for church, is the next time we pull into the parking lot and hit park in our car. We preach the word of God. We want you guys to apply it to your lives. But the thing is, just getting it from the message is not enough. We need to be soaking up the word of God day by day. As if it's our daily manna. The Lord gives us enough for today and he wants us back to gather more tomorrow. It's exciting to be a part of a church that is going to get you on a battleship to prepare you for the spiritual war that we're in, rather we know it or not, rather than allow you to just be comfortable and relax on a cruise ship. Pastor Ryan said that last week, and it's true. But the thing is, we, we don't just do that through the sermon. We do that through our small groups as well. That is an intricate part of our DNA here at Anchor. We're not just a church who has small groups. We're a church of small groups meeting together in one another's houses, getting deep into the word, getting deep into each other's lives so we can see deep impact, keeping one another accountable, walking on this journey together. We're not meant to do so alone. The Christian life is not just a life of quiet time that is kept in secret. It's a life to be lived together in community. So we preach the word of God so that it would transform you as you apply it, we also preach the word of God so that you will stand firm upon the truth in a world that rejects it. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul explains why it is so important for Timothy and for us to preach the truth. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. People won't endure sound teaching. They're going to look for teachers that are going to say the things that they want them to say. I don't really like what the word says there. I'm going to find somebody who just kind of ignores that or fudges the truth a little bit. I've got itching ears. I want to hear this, so I'm going to go over here. He says, Timothy, preach the truth. Pass on what has been passed down to you. Don't change the, G the DNA. Keep the same genetic makeup that has been passed down to you. Anyone ever seen this picture before? That's the world we live in, isn't it? Sometimes we can even fall into that trap, can't we? I don't want to hear that. Are you sure you have to interpret the scripture that way? Isn't there another way? We sure that's really what the Greek word means? Did they really get that right? Did the church fathers really know what they were talking about? That doesn't, they didn't know our culture. You know, that's, it was different back then. 
We need to know what the Word of God says so that we can dig into the ground and stand firm. Maybe you've played football before, softball, baseball. You wear cleats, right, so you can get a firm grip in the ground. You've got a defensive lineman coming against you, and you're an offensive lineman without cleats? Game over. You're done. You're getting pushed back. You've got no chance. We need to have cleats on so we can dig into the ground and stand firm upon the truth of the Word of God. Don't you want to be a part of a church where you'll be prepared to have an answer for those who disagree with you? When you're walking around at work, it's lunchtime, and that one person comes up to you and says, it's 2022, how can you still believe in God? What? Why would you possibly believe in a God who sends people to hell? Why would you do that? Don't you want to have an answer for that? I promise you that at this church, you're going to be prepared to have an answer. You'll get that here. Don't you want to be a part of a church where your children are going to have the word of God poured into them by trustworthy teachers so that they can have a foundation to stand upon when they go into high school or college or off into the workforce and they get the same sort of hard questions that you've been pounded with? I promise you that you're going to get that here. You say, Pastor Steve, you've only been here for three months or three weeks. You've been coming here for a couple of months. How do you know? Believe me, we would not have chosen this church to plant ourselves if we didn't believe that our son would be getting that, if we didn't believe we would be getting that. It is so apparent at this church, even in our short time, that this is exactly what your family's going to get here. And that's something to be excited about. Our next pillar we're going to look at is fervent prayer. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. The verse we're going to be looking at is verse 18. Verse 18, which comes after the very well-known armor of God passage. Why do we need the armor of God? Well, Paul tells us starting in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You confident to fight that fight on your own? Each of us is in that spiritual war day by day, moment by moment. And this is why we need prayer. This is why we need the Lord. Because without him, we are defenseless. So, then he goes to the armor of God passage, and I encourage you to remind yourselves of this, maybe later today in your quiet time or, or over lunch with your family. But he wraps all of it up, not by saying, oh, in addition to this, you know, do this, and also pray sometimes. He says this, throughout all of this, you got the armor on, but you need to be praying. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. A lot of alls, isn't it? So, prayer is essential for each individual in the body of Christ, but for the church as a whole as well. This is why at Anchor we believe in fervent prayer. We believe firmly in the power of prayer. This is our second pillar that we're going over. Why? Why do we believe firmly in the power of prayer? First and foremost, we got to start at the basics because God hears and answers his people. That's beautiful, isn't it? We need to know that because I think we can forget that. You know, maybe you're the person here that says, you know what, I know God is sovereign. He's going to accomplish his, his will no matter what, so why pray? He's going to do it anyways. If he uses me, he uses me. He'll make it clear then. God calls us to prayer, and he's a God that is both sovereign and also operates in true relationship. In Isaiah 37, 12, Hezekiah and the Israelites in Jerusalem are surrounded by the Assyrian army, and they've got no chance. And Sennacherib, their king, is making this clear, and he's blaspheming the Lord, saying, Every other kingdom has fallen before me. Their gods haven't protected their people. What makes you think that your God's going to be able to defeat me? That's not good. You don't want to be that guy that's saying that against the Lord. So Hezekiah comes to the Lord, and he says, Lord, please respond to this for your name's sake. And then the Lord says to him, because you have prayed to me, I will answer, and I will do this, this, and this. Because you have prayed to me, 
Don't forget that. God operates within relationship, which means our prayers matter. He hears and he answers. We have access, unlimited, unhindered, to the sovereign king of this entire universe. You remember in the book of Esther, how serious it was for her to approach her husband, the king? They fast and pray for three days, her and all of the Jews in the kingdom, because if she approaches the king and he doesn't raise his scepter and say, come on in, she'll be killed. That's the queen, and she doesn't have unhindered access to her husband, the king. And yet, this is what Hebrews 4 says. Hebrews 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Listen to this. Let us then have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help to help in time of need. We have unhindered access to the king of heaven because of what Jesus has done for us. He's our mediator. He has given us access in one spirit to the Father. We're no longer strangers and aliens. So, we believe firmly in the power of prayer because God hears and answers his people. Therefore, and we're going to read through all of these. You can get your notes down and we're going to talk through each of them individually. Therefore, as those who are in the spirit... As those who are in the Spirit, God calls us to be a dependent church which prays to him at all times, with all perseverance, all things, about all things, and for all the saints. We'll get through those, and you can write them down as we go. But let's think about this first. Therefore, as those who are in the Spirit, what does it mean to be in the Spirit? Passage in Romans, I think, is very helpful. We're just going to read the first verse of these three, Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So, what does it mean to have the Spirit of God in us? In order to be in the Spirit, you have to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, and this only happens if you've truly placed your belief in Jesus, have been born again, and have received his Holy Spirit. Are you in the Spirit? Have you seen the transforming power of the Holy Spirit bear fruit in your life? Are you confident in your salvation? Not because of anything you've done, but because you know that the eternal Son of God took on flesh, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life without sin because he knew that you could not do it. He knew I couldn't do it. Even today, if you tested me today and said, live perfectly without sin, I guarantee I wouldn't be able to do it. And I'm sure you know the same thing of yourself. Jesus knew we couldn't do it, so he came and did it for us so he could credit to our account his righteousness. Wow, what a good deal. In addition to this, he died as our substitute in our place, took the death which we deserve because Romans says the wage of sin is death. You work, you sin, your earnings is death. That's what you deserve. So Jesus died for us, and he had no sin, so God raised him from the dead, which showed him to be victor over sin, victor over death, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the only Savior. Have you placed your faith in that Jesus? Is he the Lord of your life? Does he control your life? Is his spirit directing you and empowering you to live for him? I pray that he is, because this is where it all starts as an individual and as a church. We have to be a spirit-filled church. We need this to understand the word of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The man without the spirit cannot understand the things which come from the spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. You want the word to impact your life? You need the spirit. You want to pray effectively? You need the spirit. We just saw this in Ephesians 6, 18. You want to worship the Lord? The Lord says, my father desires people who will worship him in the spirit and in truth. You need the spirit to give God worship. You want to witness effectively for the Lord? You need the spirit. And so did the apostles. Acts 1, 8 Jesus says, go out into all the world proclaiming the gospel to them. But he says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive my spirit. And you see what happens to Peter after he receives the spirit. He goes from a denier to the most incredible preacher in the whole group. 
We need the Spirit of God for witness, worship, prayer, to understand the Word of God, and to be an effective church in this world to spread the gospel of Jesus. God has called us to be a dependent church which prays to him. Does your prayer life and your time in the word show that you're dependent upon God? Does your prayer life and time in the word show that you're dependent upon God? In our tax season just passed, think of God filing, filing his spiritual taxes. I don't know if they're due April 15th or when they'd be due. But he's your father. You're his child if you're in the family of God. Was he able to file you as a dependent on his tax form? Or did you try to file individually this past year? Are you reliant upon him? Does it show in your prayer life? Does it show in your time in the word? Does it show in your need for fellowship? I pray that it does. But none of us are perfect. If you're like me, we all need to improve in these areas. We all need to be more dependent upon him. We need to pray like we depend upon God as much as we truly do. Because I tell you what, when we're in the hospital, when a loved one is in the hospital, we're down on my knees, we got the whole church praying for us. But what about when life seems to be going okay? Are we as reliant upon him then when we are in time of need? And this is important. We should be in all seasons because God says in his word, we need to pray to him at all times. At all times. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. This means no matter how you're feeling, no matter what season you're in, no matter if you're tired or have more energy than your two-year-old toddler, no matter if you're up or down emotionally, no matter if you're in a season of abundance or a season of utter need, we need to be in prayer with the Lord. Okay, I'm going to ask you guys a question. I need some responses here, okay? We're going to treat this like the youth group. What do you think is the number one excuse for why people don't pray? Too busy. Immediately. We knew it. Okay, why? Because that's probably our biggest excuse we use, right? I'm too busy to pray. You don't understand. I start work at 6.30. I got to get up early, and I like to work out before I go to work. I go to that 4.45 class down the street. You're telling me I'd have to get up before then. I I need sleep. I'm too busy. I've got things to do. I go to work, then I come home, I have to have dinner with family, and then I'm tired and I do this and this. I don't have time to pray. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine named Martin Luther. Don't really know him. Read a lot about him. Good dude. Okay, Protestant Reformation, 1500s. Martin Luther was a man of prayer. He used to pray at least one hour every single day. And he was a busy dude, too. So on busier days, people used to ask him, Martin, how do you do this, man? How do you have time to pray? And he would say, on days where I am the busiest, I pray the most. When I have a busy day, I pray for three hours. Why? Because he knew that if he was to accomplish what the Lord had for him, he needed the empowerment of the Lord to accomplish it. So the busier he was, the more he would pray. Everyone say say to me, the busier my day, the more I need to pray. The more I need to pray. Somebody post that on Twitter, would you? busier my day the more I need to pray I don't think we really operate like that so we need to pray at all times we also need to pray with all perseverance so the first problem is I don't have enough time to pray the second problem is prayer's hard anyone feel like prayer is hard sometimes okay uh, I've got a friend who just recently ran a half marathon okay he's a runner in high school he did his thing he prepared for a couple of months and he did well He came over yesterday, and he is like, uh, or two days ago, rather, and he said, you know, me and my brother, we're a part of this team. We're going to do, there's there's 26 people on the team. We're going to run a mile each for this marathon, for this charity. Uh, You know, in high school, he was sub five. I can't remember exactly what his time was, but it was like 440, something crazy on the mile. Um, And he ran the other day, and, and he ran, I think it was a 523 mile. Do you think he needed to prepare to do that? A little bit, right? And he is able to do that with not as much preparation as high school. What would it take for me to be able to run a mile or a, a marathon? Hopefully, I could run a mile. If I wanted to run a marathon, first I'd have to start by running. Maybe start with a couch to 5K, move up to a half marathon, eventually do a marathon. But the thing is, if you're a breakfast and dinner kind of prayer, you're a before night time or before bedtime kind of prayer. Maybe you're not a, a fervent prayer at all. Don't expect to run the marathon of prayer. Take small steps. Get to that first bit of prayer. Ten minutes in the morning. 
throughout the day as often as I think of it. Set times. Daniel prayed three times a day. Set times in your day that you go to the Lord in prayer. When you pray with perseverance, Jesus even recognized that it would be challenging to pray, right? He tells his disciples when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, pray that you not enter into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He encourages them as well in Luke 18, 1. He instructed them to pray at all times and not to lose heart. Prayer can be hard. It doesn't always come easy, so we need to persevere. It takes diligence. It takes focus. It takes intentionality and care and love. Okay, you say, got that. Okay, all times, all perseverance. But here's my next problem. I don't know what to pray for. Anyone feel like that sometimes? You're, you know, I go through, pray for my day. Thank you for this. It's a beautiful day outside, Lord. Thanks for the weather. Uh, pray for my, my family. Pray for this friend that I know is struggling right now. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. That could be our prayers a lot of time. That's not a bad prayer. But we run out of things to say. The Lord tells us to pray for all things. Have you ever tried praying through the scripture? Praying through the scripture. Open up a psalm. Maybe you're having a really hard time in your life. Feels like God is distant. He's not answering your prayers. Open up Psalm 13. David felt that way too. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are the words of David. Those are the words of Jesus. Pray that over yourself. Pray it for others. The Psalms are an incredible place to start. Or how about Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer? This isn't something just to be repeated word for word. I think it's a paradigm. It's a pattern that Jesus intended that we follow. Our Father, also, pause. You notice it doesn't say my Father. Prayer is a communal thing. Prayer is not just about our individual lives. We're to be praying together. When, when somebody's praying up here or your friend is praying with you over a meal, you should be praying alongside them, agreeing with them, lifting it up as well, not in a way that's going to distract them and confuse them, but we should be praying together. This isn't a one-man show. Our Father, Lord, thank you that you have made us your children and that we can relate to you as our, as our Father. Hallowed be your name. Lord, we exalt your name. We praise you. You're so incredible. Name above all names. Thy will be done, uh, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done, uh, my goodness, how am I forgetting the Our Father? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, I was switching them up, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, Lord, use me as an instrument to spread your kingdom, to spread your reign, to, to share your gospel, let me and us be a part of doing your will in this world on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide for all of us, Lord, as we seek your kingdom first. Please, Lord, bring the provisions into our lives that we need. Forgive us our trespasses. Lord, we sin against you far more often than we want to admit we need your forgiveness and praise you that through Jesus we have it guaranteed. If we believed in him, as we forgive those who trespass against us, Lord, we follow your pattern and we forgive others. But sometimes this is hard. I just can't get over this one person and what they did to me. Help me to be like you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, I don't feel strong today. Please let today not be the day that I enter into temptation and trial. But if I do, give me the strength to persevere. You could use Paul's examples. He's got prayers all over. Maybe study Colossians 1, 9 through 10. See, what, what does Paul pray for other Christians? What does Paul want other Christians to become like? How is he praying for them? Colossians 1, 9 through 10 is an excellent example. Maybe you're still having trouble. Ever tried praying through the ABCs? I'm serious. Pastor Bob and I were talking about this earlier this week, and it started out as a joke, and then I tried it the next day, and it was awesome. Okay, help me out here. Say, dear Lord, thank you so much that you're always with me. For the abundance of blessings that you bestow upon my life, for your care, for your comfort, for your concern for me, that you've delivered me from the power of sin, that every good gift comes from you, that when I fail, you show me grace, that you've delivered me from hell and allowed me access into heaven. You see how that could turn into a 40-minute prayer while you're walking the dog? You take those things and actually pour out your heart for each of them. I promise you, you're going to have something new to pray for. There's never going to be a lack. So pray the ABCs. Why not? We need help because prayer is hard. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for.
The last thing he says is pray for all the saints. Problem, don't know who to pray for. I think sometimes we can be small-minded in our view of who to pray for. What if we had this sort of perspective of the global church? world looks different when you're just looking at the Home Depot uh, on Harlem Avenue, and that's as big as your world is. world looks different when you're just thinking even about your local church. So yes, pray that the Lord would help you. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. Pray for your small group. Pray for your local church. But pray for the church globally. What's going on in China? What sort of help did the believers need there? How about in Honduras? What about down in Kenya? Do we have a global perspective of the church? What if you prayed for the Christians in a different country every day? This is the global mindset we need. This is why prayer is so important. Fervent prayer is an intricate part of Anchor Church. And I'm sure you know this. Even if this is your first time here today, I'm sure you've seen this already. We have bold prayers and services from the worship team, from Pastor Ryan, because they care for you, they love you, and they want the best for you. And this carries over into the staff meetings, into the pastor's meetings. We're down on our knees. We're praying for you. If you have something that you have requested prayer for, we are lifting it up day by day. This, we've got a leader's group thread text message of urgent needs. And you've got all the leaders in the church and the small groups and all the other areas praying for you as soon as we find out that something is going on. And you met my man Dennis. He prays for the services with a group before each service. How can you be a part of that? How can you lift the services up to the Lord? That the pastor would be filled with the spirit, that he would have the right words, that hearts would be impacted. Something that has been for a long time a part of Anchor DNA was paused in the pandemic, but is starting today is once again, we're going to have leaders up front at the end of service so that if you need prayer, if something's going on in your life, one, two, ten of us will come around you and we're going to lift you up to the Lord and intercede for you. So if that's you today, don't be scared, don't be nervous, don't be ashamed. All of us need prayer. So be bold and come up here and ask for it. And leaders, if we've got you in the services, please come up to the front after we're done. This happens in small group. This is where you get deep into people's lives. Maybe you share things more intimately with them because you know them better. This is where deep prayer and community and connection happens. How about Pastor Bob's challenge last week? Did anyone take him up on that? While you're out at the restaurant, and your waitress or waiter serves you food, that's my man, Jack, that's what I'm talking about. Hey, you know, we're about to say a blessing over this. How can we pray for you? Can you imagine if each of us in this room did this every single time we went out to a restaurant? I tell you what, Harvest Room's gonna know who goes to Anchor Church. Imagine what kind of impact we could have on the community. Imagine what sort of uh, example of Christ-likeness and care and love we would show to our community. What example we'd set for other believers who are with us to spur them on to furthering in their, or to, to, to progressing on, maturing in their life of prayer. Anchor is a praying church. I don't know where you're at in your walk today. I don't know where you've come from, whether you've been at Anchor for 10 years or this is your first time here. I don't know what kind of church background you've come from, which has led to you to where you're at in your prayer life. But we want you to be a people of fervent prayer. Maybe you're a breakfast and dinner prayer or a before bed prayer. But no matter where you're at, we're inviting you to join us in our walk with Christ as we seek to become the church that Jesus desires us to be. I think we're on our way. But the thing is, remember Paul talked about spiritual gifts, right? You remember that if you're a believer in Jesus, each of you has the spirit within you and has been gifted with something particular. And if you're not using that in the church, we're suffering as a result of it. Because each of us needs to operate in the way that we've been gifted in order for the body of Christ to function well. So too with prayer. Each of us has been called to pray. And so if you're not praying, we as a people are suffering. We need to be lifting up one another in prayer. We need to be going to the Lord. Because the church will never be what it could be if we are not praying the way we should be. It's just not going to happen. Remember Hezekiah? He lifted up his concerns and his needs to the Lord, and the Lord says, because you prayed to me, I will answer. What are the needs and concerns that we need to lift up to the Lord so that he can say, man, because you prayed, 
sister, because you prayed, I'll answer. This is our DNA here at Anchor Church. Bold preaching, fervent prayer, focus on the, the word, focus on prayer. But a church is not just a building that we meet at, it's not just an institution. This local body is made up of individual people, individual believers. And it's not just the church that has this DNA, it's the people that have it. Has this DNA been implanted into you? Are you not just saying amen to this, but yes, this is, this is my life, this is, this is my daily bread, my provision from the Lord. I long for his word more than my daily food. I need prayer because I'm reliant upon him, and I need my brothers and sisters lifting me up. No matter where you're at, we are here to walk alongside you. The highway of righteousness is a barren road. Not many walk down it. The Lord says that not many people go down the narrow path. People prefer the wide way. So if you've chosen the highway of righteousness, we pray that you would not walk down it alone and that we could walk down it alongside you. We'd love to have you guys join us in our walk to become more like Christ at this church here as we cling to his word and cling to him in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come before you. We thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for your word. We'd be making it up as we went along without it. We are reliant upon you. We recognize that in our minds, but Lord, let that shape our hearts. Let us be so convicted by that that it drives us to your word. Let it direct our lives. Let it influence our actions. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you in prayer, that we can approach your throne with confidence because your spirit is in us. Jesus is next to you at the right hand of your throne, is interceding for us, and he's give us unlimit, given us unlimited access to you. Let us not take that for granted, but use it day by day to pray for one another, expecting out of love and as a good father, you will answer in accordance with your will. Lord, we love you. We need you. We ask you to be in this place so visibly. We need you, Lord. We can do nothing without you. We need to be filled with your spirit to give you worship and to make an impact on this world. So we pray that that would be the case. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.